Let us pray. Holy Father, once again we approach thy throne in the blood righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us as we continue this worship. I pray that what is said would be in harmony with your word. And I pray that all who hear, whether uh, in person today or uh, throughout uh, the world by internet and later at a later time, that the heart and the soul will be encouraged not only in our final destination, but be encouraged to live as we ought during our remaining time of this low ground of sin and sorrow. It is a continual battle. The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary to each other so that we cannot do the things that we would. And we pray, our Father, that you would encourage and strengthen us and bless us to look forward with anticipation of the coming of the Lord, and we be not deceived We're reminded of where our Lord told some or that He will say towards some when they say, Have we not done prophesied in Thy name and done many mighty works in Thy name? And He shall say, I never knew you. So bless us not to be deceived and to have a accurate understanding of where we are before you. Again, we would pray for the gospel as it goes forth throughout the land and the world and your faithful men, wherever they are, will be encouraged to proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And it is in His name we pray. Amen.
We come to the end of 1 John chapter 2. And uh, I see no reason why we we will not uh, finish uh, this chapter this morning as we look in verses 28 and 29. Uh, for the last three messages, we have focused on verse 28 and have done word studies, particularly about the appearing of the Lord and the coming of the Lord. And as we saw how those two words are used, it is not some spiritual mystical coming, but it is a bodily appearance and coming of the Lord uh, in the final day uh, that is to be in the future. I'm not going to go back over that and beat a dead horse, <laughs> as it were. But I do want to read the last two verses. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. Now, we want to <clears throat> focus somewhat on this word confidence in verse 28. Notice again, abide in Him that when He shall appear we may have confidence before Him at His coming. Confidence. Confidence. How much confidence do you have in your standing before the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you confident that you are in Him? Now, as I endeavor to focus upon being confident, I'm quite aware, and I'm sure you are too, that there is that constant struggle of the flesh and the spirit. It will always be as long as we are in this body. But we want to have confidence. This word confidence, we're not going to look at all the times used over used around thirty one times, but we'll look at a few of them. But it has the idea, the meaning of the word is all outspokenness. That is frankness can be bluntness. But we, when we say bluntness, we don't mean 
a mean bluntness. Just matter-of-factly. And it can have the idea of assurance, but we might sum it up with one word for bold. Now we'll see how the word is used. Like I said, in, in some of the places, uh, first of all, let's go to John chapter 7, the Gospel of John. It's the idea that you are uninhibited when you're speaking to someone. You know what it is that sometimes you there may be some uh, notable figure that you have heard of and thought, boy, boy, I'd like to meet them someday, and and you meet them, and all of a sudden, all words just fly out the window. You're just kindly flabbergasted. And anything you say seems like you make more of a fool out of yourself than, than anything else. And so, and you have that, those butterflies in your stomach and, and things of that nature. But in John chapter 7, uh, well, let's just start at first, first to kind of get some of the context. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacle was at hand. His brethren, that's his uh, uh, own brothers, in other words, therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret. He himself seeketh to be known openly. There's the word, openly. In other words, it's just, uh, don't be uh, clandestine in it. Just be frank. Just, just, just be open. Continuing on in uh, chapter 7, drop down to verse 13. It says, Howbeit no man spake openly, there it is, of him, for fear of the Jews. In other words, they were afraid to, to talk about it. If a bunch of people were standing around in the marketplace and somebody happened to mention the name of Jesus, uh, it's just kind of like uh, uh, everything goes quiet. They're afraid to talk about it. They're afraid to let anybody know what they think about it. And uh, kind of like just hush mouth and not willing to speak up. They would not, they they were afraid uh, to speak openly for him, about him. And then in verse 31 of the same chapter, 
And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Now, now I'm looking at verse 26. Pardon me, I was looking at the wrong, wrong verse. Verse 26. But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? In other words, when Jesus comes along and when he, when he spoke, he was never inhibited. He wasn't afraid to say what he said. And he said it openly, clearly. In fact, when he was brought to trial, either before the Sanhedrin or before Pilate, I forgot which one, uh, he made the statement. He said, I ever spoke in, in front of everybody and whatever I've been teaching and saying, I made it known publicly. It's, it's not hidden. Everybody knows what I've said and where, where I stand. And we have people today that uh, some people very... You can see, if you look at the news, you can see some people are quite bold in their uh, exploitation of their sinfulness. And we see that on every hand, whether it be uh, Hollywood and their fornication and adultery, whether it be the dope uh, peddler on the street or... uh, the other sexual perversions and sins that go throughout the nation, or whether it be uh, thievery and robbery and uh, undermining of uh, our politicians. It's just uh, it, it's amazing at how open people are in their sins. It's just amazing at how how open people are in their sins. <clears throat> and we see it more and more and more as time goes on. In the 11th chapter of John, When they're talking about uh, Lazarus and uh, Mary Martha send to Jesus and tell him that Lazarus is sick and Jesus stays four days more where he was and uh, finally he said, let us go and see Lazarus and Let's pick up in verse 11. I'll break into the context. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, 
but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. But then notice this. Our word is found in verse 14. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. In other words, there was no question as to what he meant. He spoke boldly. He spoke openly. Clearly. Clearly. Lazarus is dead. This is our word. That we're to live and we're to abide in Christ so that we will have confidence before the Lord at His coming. Do you have confidence now before the Lord? Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Verse 29, Peter said, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. The word there is freely. In other words, let me, let me be plain about this. Uh, let, me, let, let me say this in the clearest possible way that I can. And what did he say? What did he say about the patriarch David? He is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us this day. So David's dead. No question about it. We've got his tomb here. And I don't know, but when I was in Israel in uh, 72, they showed us supposedly the, the coffin of David and supposedly crowns that David wore that were set up on top of that coffin. But I don't know whether that's uh, the original coffin or not. I have no way of, of uh, uh, knowing that, knowing how Jerusalem has been destroyed so many different times and all the uh, gold and silver was taken away and things of that nature, but uh, suppose it was, then we could say it's still there. Acts four, uh, chapter 4. Verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, the word boldness there, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men and marveled, and they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. Drop down to verse 29, after they were let go, and the disciples were together praying, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness 
They may speak thy word, the word boldness there again, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now, I know what it is as a preacher to sometimes speak the Word with boldness and then sometimes to speak it with trepidation. And I'm not saying that uh, I'm an example or, or, or a model in all of this, but, uh, I, but I, know, I know what it is sometimes when... Uh, uh, you know that if whatever action you take, it's going to be wrong. And you have some hesitancy. I'm trying to think I cannot remember, I'm not going to say that I never have, but I cannot remember a time when I purposely denied what I believed the Scriptures to teach, even when I knew that I was in a hornet's nest. I have known of people to agree with me about, and I'm talking about ministers, to agree with me about certain things that the Bible teach. They would agree with me in private, but in public they wouldn't stand with me. I have known that. I have uh, experienced that. And I know what it is to, when somebody asks you if you believe something, that you know that they're going to take what you say and twist it and try to make one look like a fool. I know what that's like. But I cannot say that every time that there has been a confrontation or a difference, I don't know that I was always just bold. You know, just... Uh, uh, I didn't have any reservations about what I was saying. I remember one situation that comes to mind uh, many, many years ago that I knew that uh, when a certain action was taken by me that the majority of the congregation was going to be my enemy and that was the case from then till I resigned that congregation. And I can say this, that while I was pastor of that congregation, 
My whole soul was in turmoil. Constantly, with one exception, while I was preaching, it seemed like the Lord just uh, removed all of that. But uh, thankfully, that chapter has been behind me for over 50 years, and I don't have to uh, experience that and hope I never have a, another situation like it. But I did have all boldness while I was preaching. It was just, it was just, I can only attribute that to the Lord. But I know what it is to have the reservations as well. And then the last verse of Acts. Acts 28 and 31, after Paul had talked to the Jewish brethren in Rome, and he was in a rented house for two years, he said, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. And no man forbidding Him with all confidence. Now I like this word and we've often quoted this verse, Hebrews 4.16. We see our word used in that verse and you probably know what verse it is. But I'll read verse 15. Hebrews 4.15 and 16. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly, boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. There's our word. Beloved, we do not have to go before the Lord with our tails between our legs like some dog that has been beaten down. But we can go boldly to obtain mercy and grace and help in time of need. Now, I'm I'm not talking about when we willfully sin. But I'm talking about when we are, let's say you're tempted to sin. And there's a great temptation before you. Or maybe uh, uh, maybe your whole disposition is out of sorts and you know you're wrong. For example, and I have prayed like this, Lord, I know that what I'm thinking 
In my spirit right now, and the way I am, I know I've got the wrong attitude. I know I'm wrong. And I really don't want to change. I want to keep the spirit that I have, and I know that's wrong. I need help. And I need your grace to look over me. And I'm coming before you and claim this verse, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace. Beloved, if that's not what it means, I don't know what it means. I know God wouldn't have me to just, let's say I'm mad about something. I know God wouldn't have me to just stay mad about it. And I know He wouldn't have me to have sinful thoughts about it. So what should I do? I need I, I uh, I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. I need grace. I need mercy. I need help. And beloved, we ought to go before the Lord in those times and realize and know that uh, uh, that we can go boldly before the Lord and ask it. I don't mean that uh, you know we're self righteous or anything like that, but just. Just freely, freely confess and freely ask. That's what it says. Look at it. Look at it. Believe it for what it says. Have that confidence that you can go to God. You have thoughts that you know that are wrong and sinful thoughts. God, I know these thoughts are wrong. I can't get rid of them. seems like the more I try not to think about it, the more I think about it. It's like some mother telling a child that just baked some uh, fresh-made cookies. Well, don't think about those cookies. Just go on outside and play. Just don't, you know, uh, the the cookies are there. Uh, I know you won't eat one, but just don't think about it. Well, the more you try not to think about it, the more you think about it. You know, some of us were talking this morning. You know, we go to sleep and then before the time for, to get up, we wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep. And the more we think about trying to go back to sleep, the less we can go back to sleep. Well, uh, <clears throat> you've got something on your mind and you know it's wrong and you're thinking about it and you're trying not to, uh, trying not to think about it. What should you do? Go to God. Ask for grace and help. You need it. You can't do it on your own. And be bold about it. And I don't mean rash or, or, or demanding God. You can't go to God and say, God, I demand that you do this because that's what your Word says. But you say, God, that's what your Word says. And I don't have any other place to go and I need you. Please, please come to me. Please help me. Boldly. Boldly. With confidence. Well, we'll look at three more times this word is used, and they're in First John. One of the First John three twenty one. First John three twenty one. Beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, 
then have we confidence toward God. Now we'll say more about that, Lord willing, when we get to it. But have confidence before God. And then the fourth chapter of 1 John. Verse 17. Herein is our hearts made uh, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. And then in chapter 5 and verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Does God hear your prayers? Do you have confidence that He hears them? If we ask according to His will, He hears us. And if we abide in Him, He hears us. In other words, if we're living according to the Word and asking according to the Word, He's going to hear us and He's going to answer according to the Word. Now there are some things that we don't know about. I will give this something that was a a real encouragement to me about, I guess it was about a month ago. I think we here prayed for uh, Brother uh, Joshua Ashwood's in-laws that in Canada because of the the far fires that are going on up there in Canada, but uh, here was a fire that was close to their ranch, their farm, I mean. They had several thousand acres, I believe. But anyway, their farm and people were being evacuated. <clears throat> and uh, they sent out a request to some of us, ask us to be praying about that. And I think within 24 hours, it was a very short time, might have been the next day sometime, I got word that uh, uh, the fire had uh, gone, the Lord had directed the fire away from their property and uh, they didn't have to have, uh, didn't have to be evacuated and I think maybe a rain shower came too, something, but... uh, you know, you don't always see a quick answer to prayer uh, like that. But uh, we need to be in mind in tune that when we see things like that, uh, thank God for them. That gives you confidence. The idea... In this, uh, in this, the idea is that one is living so close to the Lord that there is nothing between him and his Lord 
when it comes with regard to the knowledge of sin in his life when the Lord returns. Now you say, how in the world can that be? I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. By resting in the finished work of Christ and abiding in Him, when the Lord returns, you're going to have confidence and not be ashamed. Now this doesn't have to do with your... I guess your salvation is included in it, but it has to do more with your... Your, uh, your ministry, your faithfulness. Obviously, every child of grace is going to be saved. But the Lord talks about the fact that there's a possibility of us, children of God, living in such a way that when He returns, we'll be ashamed. I really believe that as a whole, we don't take holy living as serious as we ought. As Kenneth Weiss said, this is the kind of saint that keeps daily check upon himself, a daily checkup on himself as to sin in his life. He maintains a constant yieldedness to and dependence on the Holy Spirit to show him sin in his life and give him the grace to judge it and to put it out. Now, some think that this is talking about the ministry, not children of God in general. And that is that the minister might have confidence and not be ashamed at the coming of the Lord. You say, well, how would you see that? Well, let's look at some of the places where that, that is true. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul said to the Thessalonian saints, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? Paul said, when the Lord comes back, there's something in the life of the Thessalonian saints and their faithfulness to the Lord that Paul was going to rejoice in. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. Picking up in verse 8. <clears throat> For we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also made manifest in your consciences. Chapter 11 of Second Corinthians. Verse 2, Paul said, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Colossians 1, verse 28. Whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they, that is the ministers, must give an, an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And then Second John chapter 8, uh, verse 8. 2 John 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. <clears throat> now while I believe it is true that we as ministers will have to give an account for our stewardship before the Lord, I believe also that it applies to all of the Lord's children. And so I would take 1 John 2.28 to be applicable to all of the saints and not just to the ministry. But I did want to give that because of how that some think otherwise. Not being ashamed... You know, I don't know whether I'm going to get. I'm going to. I'm going to stop here. Most likely, I'll get. We'll get through with the. Uh, First uh, John chapter two this afternoon, and may get started into chapter three some, but uh, there's some stuff here that I think is good for us that I don't want to leave out, and I don't want to run too long.
So let's uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to have the proper balance of what I've been trying to teach this day. We know that our standing is in the blood righteousness of Christ. But as your children, we're disciplined. And these verses seem to indicate there's something in the future. And not just a daily judgment in our conscience. We do have that daily judgment in our conscience. We do not deny that. But help us to be more faithful and to abide in You. That we not be even ashamed when we come before You in prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen.